Journey to Organization, episode 115, Healthcare Advocacy with Aviva Yoselis. You're listening to the Journey to Organization podcast with Rebecca Saltzman, advice to help you clear your clutter and your mind. Hello and welcome to Journey to Organization. I'm Rebecca Saltzman from Balagan Beyond Personal Organization, and I want to dedicate today's episode to my mom. Without going into details, since I want to protect my mom's privacy, I'll just say this. She is in need of a refuah shlema, so please keep Esther Batsara in your prayers. Today, I am excited to talk to Aviva because I've been trying to get Aviva on the podcast for a while. We just were having problems connecting. I'm so glad we finally got to connect today. Uh, We're going to talk about organizing yourself or someone close to you in their healthcare journey. Now, more than ever, I see the importance of being organized when it comes to taking care of yourself or members of your family or both especially when you have a complex medical diagnosis with lots of people on your healthcare team. This is part of why I wanted to speak to Aviva and have been wanting to speak to Aviva for months, basically. I want you to also be able to understand what you should do to prevent issues and what to do when something happens. Now, Aviva is an MPH. She is the Director of Healthcare Advocacy for the nonprofit organization, The Shira Pransky Project, and founder of Health Advise, that's with a Z. She has more than 20 years of experience in health advocacy and health system navigation. She has a broad understanding of the biological sciences, biostatistics, epidemiology, clinical trials, and current issues in healthcare. Aviva began her career in the U.S. in health education and medical advocacy for low-income minority communities. She has a master's degree from the Braun School of Public Health at Hadassah Hebrew University and is also certified in sexual health facilitation and lactation counseling. She is a member of the APHA, Alliance of Professional Health Advocates, and a board-certified patient advocate. Welcome, Aviva. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. We finally get to talk. I know. I'm so excited. Uh, <laughs> but I have a lot of questions for you. So let's start I'm, with I'm some ready. easy ones, okay? Uh, okay? Tell us, what is a health advocate? What do they do? Why do you uh, see them? So I, <laughs> I get this question all the time, <laughs> along with what is public health, since I have a <laughs> master's in, in public health. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a, a healthcare advocate or a patient advocate is somebody who is there to represent you um, dur- throughout your journey in the healthcare system, whether that be a simple task of figuring out where to go, what specialist to go to, up to, as you mentioned, navigating a complex diagnosis. Because the system is is complex today and is very fragmented and everybody is in their own specialty. So you really need a guide uh, that will take you through this process as well as somebody who will help you understand your rights and also very importantly, uh, help you make decisions. Meaning not that they're like a doctor who's making medical decisions, but help you understand what the doctors are saying Mm-hmm. help you understand um, how you specifically can make the decision because okay. it, it varies for each person. So how did you get started in this? Uh, <laughs> so as you can see, as you mentioned in my bio, I've been in this field for a long time. I basically knew that I've wanted to be involved in the healthcare system since I was a, uh, I think since I was a teenager. Oh, wow. And uh, I started 
lecturing my friends about, you know, women's health when I was 14, they would come ask me questions. (laughs) 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 I would tell them the answer somehow. Um, And at first I was going to be a physician and then I was going to be a midwife. uh, And then, you know, how life works. You, uh, you make Aliyah, you suddenly (laughs) find yourself uh, you know, married and you're pregnant and you think, wait a second, <laughs> uh, this might not mesh. And then I found my way into um, public health and worked for years in the area of nonprofit and uh, women's health and uh, creating um, health promotion programming interventions. And through that, I started to realize how many people don't understand the healthcare system. No matter, you know, people with years of education and really bright people, but when it came to somebody in their family suddenly getting, you know, a, a diagnosis of a chronic illness, or they were lost. They didn't know what to do with the doctors. They didn't know how to find the help they needed. They didn't know what their rights were. And it pained me to see all these people walking around and not taking advantage of really good healthcare services, um, especially here in Israel. There are a lot of really, really helpful, good services. There's good medical care. And uh, so I started to work with people and I sort of, I came into it that way. Oh, that's amazing. So let's talk about why we would need a healthcare advocate um, if we need a pro and how much we should expect to pay for this service. Now, I just want to say a few weeks ago, I had a podcast episode about why hiring a professional is so important so people can refer Mm. back to that one, but... uh, (laughs) Let's hear your take on that. (laughs) Yeah, so I think all of us that work in these sort of like more niche areas where people aren't used to to hiring someone, they get a little confused. And I'm actually, I'm I'm now teaching a course on patient patient advocacy with with a company in Tel Aviv. Okay. And the director there, he's a lawyer. And he said, he started off by saying, you know, if we have a legal problem, it's not even a question, we go and we pay a lawyer. If, you know, if we can't figure out our taxes, we go and we pay an accountant. So why is it that we can't figure out how to navigate the bureaucracy of the healthcare system? We don't just think of naturally to go pay a healthcare advocate. Right. It would, um, you know, it would make sense. The first thing is, is that there are not a lot of people who are in the system who are healthcare advocates as opposed to lawyers and accountants. Okay. Um, so that's the one. Now, it's difference between the states and Europe and Israel. Okay, so let's As talk you about the differences. In, in, right. So, so when you mentioned my bio, I'm a board-certified patient advocate, which is a new certification program that came up in the last two years. Okay. Just for this reason is that the patient advocacy organizations in America felt that there needed to be like a, a standard of practice um, and and sort of and behavior and they created the certification program that is international now in america um first of all in america there are about 1200 programs that teach people how to be patient advocates and patient navigators wow and there are as to date about uh 700 people who have taken and passed this certification test um i am the only one uh, i was the first one internationally and now there's somebody in the uk but the rest are in north america okay. so if you're in america you can find an organization that ha- does have health um health advocates now 
the price range is so great because there's no standardization. Okay. And in America, a lot of healthcare advocates also provide you with um, understanding medical billing, which is a big issue when it comes to Medicare right. and hospital billing, which in Israel obviously isn't an issue because the whole system is different. So, well, there is private um, insurance in Israel. There is, but the whole concept of interpreting the bill that you receive is very, very different. Like oh, in America, okay. when you get the bill, there's like this entire alphabet that you have to understand, you know, <laughs> day one, if taken, you know, and it's the language and you're reading, you think you're native English speaker and then you read the bill and you're really confused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that's a big difference also in pricing. Okay. Also, it's very important to ask the person if you look, if you are looking for somebody, what are you going to offer me? Because everybody's package is very, very different. Okay. So, so what are things we should look for? Yeah. Uh, so first of all, you want to ask the person, will you make appointments for me? Okay. Um, you know, will you, do you do an assessment of me before, you know, some people uh, do like a two full hour assessment uh, to get the whole picture before they start, you know, like a medical history? Is, sort of medical history, but right. Mm -hmm. But, but you know, emphasizing on specific pillars that are related to healthcare advocacy. Okay. Also, as the person, you know, if it's in the States, are you certified? Do you belong to a national organization? Because that already gives you a sense of, you know, what is, what's the person's uh, professional level. I find that a lot of people get into this field because they navigated, uh, they had a personal experience and they helped somebody navigate and then they wanted to help others, mm -hmm. which is great. But I do think that having professional training and a professional background of some kind is very beneficial. Okay. So it just gives a different understanding. Right. So how do we determine when we should go for a pro or go with a friend? Right. Right. So first of all, um, and I might be preempting one of your, your questions here, but <laughs> I recommend anytime you are going to an important uh, medical uh, meeting, appoint appointment, okay. take someone with you. Okay. Because uh, the larger sort of the issue is, the less you are going to be able to hear. For example, my, yes, I my, understand. Uh, yeah, my nephew years ago, he had... Um, he had a, uh, you know, a tough diagnosis and, um, basically it was like, um, he heard, he said, he heard the doctor saying like, you know, blah, 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 tumor, blah, 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 <laughs> treatment, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, you know, you walk out of the office and you're like, huh? What just happened? So when, yes. So you need to go with somebody and somebody who a, you can rely on and be somebody who is also, calm in crisis situations. So you, know, you don't want somebody who's going to freak out more than right, you are. A hundred percent. So when yeah. you're looking for, to hire someone, let's say you want someone who's going to be able to go with you to all your appointments and then give you like a, a huddle afterwards, like give you a rundown, a briefing of what happened. So that, you know, that's the ideal situation. Obviously okay. that's going to be more costly if you're hiring someone. What I do and what I know other people do is uh, we prep the person beforehand. 
okay. to make sure that we have all of our questions written down about what we want to ask the doctor, make sure we have all of our medical paperwork um, in, you know, in order, and that we've summarized what is our purpose for going to the doctor, which is crucial. We could talk about that in a few minutes. Yeah. We talk about the doctor's visit. Okay. Um, and we make sure that they're going with somebody, a family member, you know, a parent, whatever it may be. And so either we discuss the meeting afterward or we ask the doctor's permission and we, they record the session or I'm there listening in. They open up the telephone line. Mm-hmm. So um, I find, and more and more, I find the doctors are, are very amenable to this. In the States now, there's a new app actually about how to um, organize your medical information. Oh, and I what's can it called? The, the, the link if you want. I knew you were going to ask me that and I've completely blanked on the name. Uh, I actually spoke to the founder. He's in California, right? That's terrible. But I will send you the link. You can put it in the notes. Okay. uh, We'll put it in the show notes. Okay. And uh, you can actually record your doctor's visits on the app and then share them with other people in your team. Wow. Do doctors, are doctors amenable to that? So, uh, yeah, yeah, they are. I find that the younger doctors... Are more. I have a I have a client here. I feel like that could be a legal doctor. nightmare. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You have to ask their permission. But mm. I have a doc, I have a client who's been going to this doctor for six months for their child, uh-huh. and every time you know he walks in and he says, "Is it okay, record?" And the doctor says, "Of course, it's no problem." And you know, and then he sends <laughs> me these WhatsApp of the recording. <laughs> oh wow. Okay, yeah. that's neat. Um, so let's talk about. What happens in the healthcare advocate situation when you're hospitalized? Ah, yes, the hospital, right. So I, I kind of feel like um, you get to the hospital and like everything you know is thrown out the window, you know? Like, I mean, it's, it's interesting because here I am, I'm a healthcare advocate. I've been in this field, you know, for 25 years. When I okay. took my mother, I had to go to my mother to the emergency room. She has uh, dementia. Okay. And you know, you find yourself midnight in the emergency room, you know, you're exhausted, right. <laughs> running after the nurses being like, you know, and my mother doesn't know where she is. And she keeps saying like, why are we going? Why are we yeah. sitting here? Why are yeah. we going? You know, and she's having a crisis, you know, and you're kind of like running after people. So, um, you, as organized as you are, you really need somebody else, I think, who can come in there and make order, you know, okay. and can say like, okay, let's recap what's going on here. Okay, we need to do A, B, C, and D. How do we do that, you know? Um, and and often you need, you need like to be speaking to multiple people at once. You know, right. my sister came in, you know, she was talking to the nurse and I was going upstairs to find a gastroenterologist and, you know, so... Uh, if you have the ability to hire somebody who can come in and help you, you know, run interference as it were for, let's say at least for two hours to get you settled in the emergency room, mm-hmm. enter the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, I think that is, you know, definitely ideal. You know, again, you can have, sometimes people won't come in, but you can have a phone relationship, you know, okay. you can have a phone meeting, which really can be extremely helpful because, you're inside and when you're inside a crisis it's very hard to manage right it's true so and also you have the the emotional component you know you are connected to the patient 
you're connected with a patient, you know, when right. you go in, when you're with, like with a child, you know, and you're a parent and you take your child into the emergency room and you have to be in the hospital. Right. So, and it's, so there's, there's that, there's the professional care advocate. And obviously there's also the issue of having people replace you, you know, right. if at what, you know, there is nothing gained by being a martyr and staying through 24 seven for a 10 day hospitalization. Yes. Because <laughs> you will not be of help to anybody. Right. Because you're getting woken you know, up every four hours for the vitals too. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. You feel like, could my you please take my blood pressure? Because <laughs> I'm not sure mine is okay. <laughs> my sister will never forget the story because she was my doula and she was with me in the hospital. And 5.30 in the morning after I'd given birth two hours earlier, the nurse comes in, turns on the lights and says, Bokil <laughs> Good morning, girl. Yes. And my sister Oh, that's crazy. Like, yeah, what is happening? <laughs> so... I'll just say so this, very, if you do have to sleep in the, I, I'll just say this, if you do have to sleep in the hospital, it's worthwhile to invest in a good eye mask. If, mm. if you're the patient or if you're, you know, family, whatever it is, just get yourself an eye mask. I found that that has been like a real help in sleeping well throughout uh, hospital stays. That is brilliant. That is very, very brilliant. Uh, <laughs> I, I want if you can, earplugs. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I can. I, uh, I sort of have accepted that I will just be awake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about the difference. Oh, well, you know what? Let's talk about protecting yourself a little bit. If you mm. don't have an advocate or even if you do have an advocate and you're spending some time, in the hospital. So how do you protect yourself as a family member from getting burnt out? Cause it's like a real thing. Even nurses get burned out and techs get burned out. And it is a let, let's, thing. let's talk about just protecting yourself for a minute. Yeah. Which is very important. It's like the statistic is kind of scary. I think it's like more than half of those people who are caring for someone else in the end become sick themselves. Mm -hmm. So we want to avoid that. So what are your best yeah. tips or tricks to help with your own so, self-care during that time? First of all, it's very important to know when you when you get a diagnosis. So we're not talking about acute situation like, you know, appendicitis and you're in the hospital. Uh, but when you have a diagnosis that you know is going to be more long-term, you have to remember it's a marathon, not a sprint. Right. Meaning cannot run around, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to find that person. I'm going to find that person. I'm going to have that specialist and I'm going to try that medication and, and, you know, and everybody, especially at the beginning, really bombards you with, oh, you should go to this doctor or you should take, you know, this mixture of aloe leaves and ginger tea and the person should do this and then they should walk, you know, in circles for three hours and then sit on their heads and <laughs> you really have to, you know, I mean, people and people mean well, right. you know, but you really have to like put a distance and you have to say like one day at a time, right? you know, we're going to. We're going to go to the doctor's visit. We're not running anywhere. It's very important to remember that. We're not running. We're not. I think people feel like I'm going to miss something, you know, if I don't take advantage of everything. And, and you can't because at the end of the day, you need your koach for the long term. You right. need your strength. You need your strength. Yeah. So first of all, you have to pace yourself. Second of all, you need to sleep. You have to sleep. 
So if there's somebody who's in the hospital for an extended period of time um, or in some kind of facility or even at home, but they're waking up a lot, you have to have somebody switch you. And it could be a spouse. It can be, it can, you have to ask other people for help. Right. And I think this is a very big thing to remember is that, you know, people feel, well, I don't feel comfortable. Right. So first of all, get over it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you have friends and family. Exactly. And as I tell people all the time, we always need other people's help, whether right. we admit it to ourselves or not. We do. We are the, the, we are just that those kind of creatures. We cannot do everything ourselves. And even if that person doesn't reciprocate in the end, they're going to help somebody else. So right. it doesn't have to be, you don't know, keep a, like, don't keep a tally. Exactly. Exactly. Right. A lot of people, you know, and you also have to know your crowd, you know, right. you maybe you can ask your neighbor for, for sugar or for milk, you know, every other day, but you can't ask her to come sit with your baby every other day. Kind right. of thing, you know, but you can ask um, her to take in your mail or your newspaper. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yes. And it's, it's very, you know, it's important to, uh, you know, you can ask somebody else to walk your dog. Right. I had somebody who, uh, you know, she, her son, unfortunately, had an unexpected injury and um, was hospitalized for a long period of time. And they had a dog. And even though she would come home, when she came home, she knew she needed to, like, take a shower, eat something, sleep. So she asked, like, a neighbor's child to walk her dog for three months, you know? Yeah. It's, it's helpful. Uh, it's important. Yeah. It's yeah. very, very important to delegate. It's crucial to sleep. Um, and to eat well, right? right? Because when we're in the hospital, we tend to like eat, we eat junk. <laughs> yeah, we totally eat junk when we're in the hospital. Also, because we feel yeah. like sometimes it gives us fuel, but really, I, I was so happy yeah, yeah. when someone just brought me some fruit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And, I mean, it's also important, like, not to be hard on ourselves at the same time. Like, okay, we had a candy bar and, you know, um, like I would say a croissant, I eat croissants right. when I'm, you know, in the hospital, but, um, you know, but then, okay, but okay. Now how can I, you know, how can I have some granola or how can I, ha you know, ask somebody to right. bring me some fruit? You know, right, right, yeah. right. A hundred percent. hundred percent. And be, and it's very important to be gentle with ourselves. Okay. I think especially so? women, because women, we, I mean, statistically we're the primary caregiver of our children and often of you know, of other people in our family, of our parents, of family members. Uh, right. Women are the majority of caregivers, and we um, expect a great deal of ourselves. Okay. You know, that we should um, be supportive and um, always be there and make sure everything is together and make sure that everybody gets the best care. And we have to remember that we are people. And, uh, and, and I mean, I know it sounds like an obvious thing, but we forget that because we see well, ourselves we have needs only too. as, yes, yes. And it seems and we like we should subjugate our needs because the other person has more pressing needs, but really we exactly, don't have to take care of ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. And you can do that short term, but you also need to compensate that and take a step back and, and just be gentle with yourself, meaning I did the best that I could. And I am doing the best that I can. And I, and just keep reminding yourself of that, you know, right, 100%. and, and do things that are soothing, okay. meaning watch a silly movie, 
you know, or read an entertaining book or go out with a friend for a coffee, you know, something that isn't efficient or, you know, I, I, so many times I hear from people when they come back from the hospital, oh, I'm just going to throw a load of laundry in, you know, okay, I just have to clean up my kitchen. I just, you know, so instead of doing that, take your five-year-old, you know, take him out to an ice cream cone because you haven't seen him, you know, because you're right. dealing with somebody else. Exactly. It's, it's important to, uh, to remember that. hundred percent. Okay. So let, delegate. Yeah. Oh yes. yeah. Delegating <laughs> is super important. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, get help wherever you can. I always say yeah. that like Aliyah is a very humbling experience because you have to ask people for help in the situations where you normally wouldn't ask for help. But I feel like oh, in the, the healthcare <laughs> realm, it's also the same. It's like, it's humbling. And I feel like uh, not to minimize uh, anybody's, you know, health journey or anything like that. But I feel like there is something that we're supposed to learn by being forced to ask other people to help us. Um, and it's, it's definitely, and it's not just for the patient sometimes, it's even for like no. the people caring, like you're forced to rely on extra people to get you through. And it's amazing to me how many people it takes to keep one person healthy. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, yeah. It's a lot of, it's a lot of people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay. So let's talk about me the differences between medical care in the U.S. or U.K. Uh, and Israel. And when is it important to take out extra insurance policies? Obviously, if you have a pre-existing condition, it's harder to take out extra insurance. But uh, right, right. what is the value in them? Okay, so obviously the first and foremost difference is that in Israel, it's a socialized system, which means is that everybody pays into the system and everybody gets a basic level of care, no matter how much you've paid in, no matter what your status is, as long as you're a citizen okay. um, and, and most times or, or a permanent resident. Um, and, and that's a, and that's a guarantee. And the government has, um, has promised in a sense that to the citizens, whereas in the United States, it's a, it's still a fee based service and it's based, um, you know, through your employment or if you meet, you know, the, um, the income, if you're below a certain income through the government. And now they have, you know, with Obamacare, that's changed things a bit. Okay. So, um, I can't go into, you know, into super detail cause I obviously was in the States before Obamacare. Right. But, um, what is, what I see that is interesting for people who have, who live, you know, between both countries is that, um, the ability to communicate with your doctor or the ability to um, know who you're, who you're going to go to is different. In America, you know, I, people say all the time, you know, they're, they're in touch with their doctors in a way that they, like, they don't feel what well, they, they reach out to the doctor. They don't reach out to the clinic, okay. as it were. Okay. Whereas, whereas here, it's, you know, it's, it's the coupa system. It's like, it's the, uh, the, the patrolim system, yeah. the HMO, right? And it's, but it's your your rights go through 
you know, go through that. So if you need to get reimbursed for a doctor's visit or you need to get reimbursed for travel if you're eligible or, you know, all sorts of things, you're going through the, the medical secretary, you're going through the office. It's, it's, a, different, uh, it's a different interface. Okay. And it's also not, you're never being, you're not being billed in the same way. Right. So, you know, people some, they don't know how to, um, to, to navigate that. Um, so yeah, that would be like in general. So what does, I mean, this is, I guess, I mean, it's also, it's true. I guess if someone's on Medicare, um, and has basic Medicare in the U S and has basic, uh, coupa coverage in Israel, let's talk about private health insurance. How important is that to have? Yeah. Right. 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 So private health insurance. So, um, in Israel, you're often offered a private health insurance policy through your workplace because to purchase it, uh, privately is, is much more expensive. Some people do, but it's much more expensive. So the premium or the, you know, the monthly payment that you make is, um, is lower. Um, and it, it um, anywhere that you are, when you're purchasing private insurance, for you, if you have a pre-existing condition, which can be anything from um, a previous cancer diagnosis to diabetes, um, you know, to a more serious illness, let's say. I have, like, let's say um, I have Graves' disease, which is an autoimmune disease of the thyroid. Right, right. So this is, this, you have to, those kinds of things you have to approach the uh, insurance company and ask mm. them, you know, what their take is on that. They want okay. you to get a physical. Um, and some insurance companies will accept if you get a letter from a doctor saying it doesn't affect any, you know, any current system and the long-term effects are, like it's know, under control. Not severe. Right. Even if it, right. So even if it's under control, you still have to sort of get like a statement of that. Sometimes, okay. Some insurance companies will accept that. The only thing being that they will often put in a caveat that if you are hospitalized or suffer from something that is connected to that illness in the future, they will not cover it. And the only concern Which is, crazy is because everything in your body is connected, but whatever. Exactly. <laughs> so you don't want to be in this situation right. where they say, oh, you know, your appendix have being removed is because, you know, of because your you Graves disease. disease. Yeah. <laughs> So that, that is, that is the catch. Um, but for those people who don't have, you know, any preexisting condition, and you should also always be aware just because you think you have a condition, don't not apply. Like for example, I had a client who has a pacemaker, um, and she applied and they denied her. And I said, look, get a letter from the cardiologist saying that it's not affecting, you know, anything in your, and she got, um, she, she got, got uh, long-term care insurance. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, right. So it's important to, to, first of all, not, you know, decide for them what the answer is and read the policy very carefully. And if, if it is in a different language, uh, which sometimes even if it's in English for some people, it's a different yeah, language. That's true. Uh, sit with somebody. This is where a health advocate can be very helpful. Okay. Great. Uh, not the insurance agent. Right. <laughs> a, th- a third <laughs> party he, who's, who's, uh, Objective. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. To make sure you understand the fine print and what's being covered and what's not being covered. And so a healthcare advocate see- in that situation will point out if they think something's missing from the policy. 
Exactly, exactly. Okay. And I, I will tell you um, that um, there's a big push to sell catastrophic insurance, you know, like, let's say you need, you know, a lung transplant, and you need to go to another country, okay. or, you know, or some very, very rare medication, okay. um, as well as accident insurance is very, very big as of late. Okay. Statistically, as I tell everybody, what gets us um, is mostly just plain aging. Okay. So if we have really, that's really what we, as we age, we just need more physical assistance. It's not okay. usually anything drastic. Not that those things don't happen. I'm just saying, you know, when we look, because, uh, you know, I come from the field of epidemiology, so right. I'm always looking at statistics. Okay. So it's important to just keep in mind that if you have to make a decision between, let's say, long-term care and or catastrophic insurance, just the long -term think care. about, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say yay or nay. Depends I'm on the situation. Sure, yeah. Yes, but think about it and, and, you know, before you make a decision. Okay. Yeah. So let's go back to hospitalization for a few minutes, um, or okay. just in general, let's talk about healthcare directives. Um, uh, right. First of all, I noticed from my experience that in the United States, most states have a printable healthcare uh, directive that you can print out and download and sign on their state websites. Yes. Um, but how does it work in general? What should we what should we think about? Who should we talk to about it? Like, I I think it's important to have this conversation with your kids. Obviously, it depends how old your kids are, but uh, and your spouse and your siblings and even your parents. Yes. Um, but you know, what are we what are we looking for? What do we do? How do we do it in Israel? So do we need a will? Excellent question. <laughs> um. Okay, so I will say briefly, because this is obviously we can like have a whole podcast just on this yeah. topic. Okay. But, <laughs> next. But, that will be that we, next time you come back, we'll talk only about it. Right, we'll talk about that, right? <laughs> so there is definitely a a cultural taboo in many different cultures when talking about death and dying. Okay. Is that people are often uncomfortable to bring it up. And I understand that. I do I really do understand that. I would, I just point out to people that it is much easier to have a conversation about difficult topics when you're not in crisis. Okay. And unfortunately, these topics end up getting discussed with adult siblings when their parent is in the hospital. And then it's much harder to have this discussion. So I do, I do urge people, you know, of, of adult children to have the discussion with their parents. Um, to have the discussion, yes, among your siblings. And yes, when your children, obviously when your children are older, I don't think, you know, with your 12-year-old, you want to tell them, I don't want to be resuscitated. But, um, you know, if you have adult children, to let them know your desires, that's one important, that's important thing. Okay. And to have a thought process about it yourself. Uh, you, you are correct that in the States, a lot of States have what they call advanced directives or a DNR, meaning indicate that I am unconscious or um, and I need to, you know, please do not resuscitate me. Or don't um, take advanced measures to do so. Exactly. So yeah. each place has its own caveat. In Israel, it is different in that what is currently in place in the government that you can fill out through the Misrata Briut, which is a form you have to download. Currently, it's only in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. You have to sit with a, a health professional, which is a nurse, doctor, or social worker, and have them explain the form to you. Okay. And it's only for people who have de been defined as those who are in the process of dying, or they call it end of life. Mm -hmm. So 
if a doctor has said to you, you have six months or less to live, which is kind of ironic because I don't know, unless they're all in the VEM, you know, how can people really know that? <laughs> that is, that is how things work. If Statistics. They have, if you, so, <laughs> right. Exactly. So then, then you can complete this form that says in the case that X, I don't want, or I do want X, Y, and Z. And I want so-and-so to be my health proxy. Okay. Who can make the for me in that in those situations. Okay. You can complete that form whenever you want. You send it into Misrata Briut, um, and they have it on file, and now all the computers have it on file. I mean, all the hospitals have it on file in their computer. They're working on that. Okay, that's uh, awesome. And then in, in the case that you are defined as an end-of-life patient, then that would be in effect if something happened. Okay, so, so I couldn't just go and do that right now then is what you're saying. You could do do it you could do you should do it but it okay. won't be in effect until you are unless you know god forbid you're in that situation uh -huh. so it's different than in the states where it's just across the board if something happened you know god forbid i'm in a car accident and i have you know a traumatic brain injury and i'm brain dead please don't put me on life support you know mm -hmm. so you can't do that in israel okay uh, what you can do is you can do something called continuous power of attorney Okay. Which is something that you have to pay for. The Misrata Briut thing is free. Okay. Um, and and you'll give us the link so I can put it in the show notes, right? Yes. Okay, yes, great. yes. I will give you the link. And and continuous power of attorney is also something that is in the United States. Okay. That people should also, it's called durable power of attorney. Okay. Which is a very important thing to put into place because um, a regular power of attorney is no longer in effect if the person is not able to make their own decisions. Okay which a lot of people don't know. So if you, you know, if let's say you're, you, you're slight, you know, you're elderly, you're reaching 70 and you're all in good health, you would like to consider having a continuous power of attorney so that, you know, a sibling, a, a brother, a child can, can make decisions for you in the case that you cannot make decisions for yourself. And this okay. can be financial and, and health oriented. And I, I urge everybody to put those documents into place because there's nothing worse than two siblings sitting in a hospital arguing about what their parent would want. And, you know, you hear, unfortunately, it comes to situations where they stop talking to one another because yeah. they disagreed so much. And, you know, had, had a document been put in place before, it would have taken all of the sort of responsibility. And or even if you would have just discussed it with your kids. Right. Right. If, at least if you would have, at least if you would have expressed your wishes, they would know. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And it's important to note that anybody who's moving between Israel and America, that they are not, um, they are not valid in, in like your American documents are not valid in Israel and okay. vice versa. And oh, if you have property in either country, then yes, you need a will and you need a will in both countries because they are not, um, they are not reciprocal. Oh, good. Good to know. Okay. Yes. We'll have to talk to an attorney on another coming episode and talk about wills yes. then, I guess. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You definitely need to do that. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so that so that's important about the, you know, having that conversation and deciding about advanced directives and um, you know, and putting something in place. Okay. All right. So one of the most common questions I get asked is, how can we organize our healthcare paperwork? 
Now, I'm talking about specifically for people with chronic issues who take paperwork to the doctor and are seeing a lot of doctors who are maybe not in the same healthcare system. I personally love accordion folders. <laughs> yeah, <yes. laughs> and then rolly bags, but uh and I like I think there are some doctors, especially the younger ones, who prefer if you just give them a disc on key or a flash drive. Uh, but what's been your experience with paperwork? I mean, in yes. Israel, it's less of an issue because if you're seeing someone in the healthcare no, system. But it's just as important. It's just, okay. it's so funny that you asked that because just last night I gave a lecture and I, and I mentioned this and I had that same exact question. But why do I have to have my papers? Because doesn't the doctor have all the information? So, uh, and I, and I mentioned, I always happens that inevitably somebody will come into my office and they bring like this, like little super, you know, supermarket bag yeah. <laughs> of papers <laughs> and they dump it on my desk, like envelopes, closed envelopes and random <laughs> pieces of paper. They like, tell me what all of this means. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so what do you love um, to organize with? Are you down with yeah, the accordion so, folder? So I like the, the truth is I like the three ring binder. Okay. With, with, with plastics? Um, with plastic. How do you say that in English? Plastic Those sleeves? Little plastic How sleeves. How do you say it? Plastic, plastic sleeves. sleeves. Or sheet plastic protectors. Sleeves. Sheet protectors. Sheet protectors. Right, yeah. right. Sheet protectors. Yeah. Do they? I don't know. I don't remember those growing up that we had those. Yeah, they sell them <laughs> in the U.S., yeah. They sell For them. Sure. I grew up 100%. in the U.S. era of trapper keepers. <laughs> they, they have them, but yeah. I, I just like that because I feel like it's easier to move between um, between topics, you know, and I feel like it keeps uh -huh. the papers, you know, nice. And I have like, actually in I America, you can get the the paper, the sheet protectors with little tabs on them, so that like they're like you can mark from the side what everything is. Ah, so that's even better. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm. Uh, so yeah, I have. I personally, I have a binder for my family. So I have like, you know, each person has their own, their own sleeve. Okay. Um, and then I have, uh, and then I have like another one for my parents. And, um, and I find some people who have, you know, some of my clients, so they have like complicated situations. So they have a binder that each sleeve is like, you know, the gastro doctor, the cardiologist, mm -hmm. the, uh, the private orthopedist, my hospitalization records, etc. Okay. Uh, and because even if you're in Israel where everything's sort of in, supposed to be in the same system, they don't talk to one another, the hospitals and the kupot. Okay. Um, and each kupa is on a different uh, computer system. And okay. um, if you go to a private doctor, they're not, they're not connected. Okay. And you need your medical summaries. So I, I'll just say as a quick story, my daughter broke her toe and we took her to the Miyun, the urgent clinic at uh, Maccabi right. and the doctor felt like she should go to the hospital because she she felt it might be dislocated and, and she didn't feel comfortable not sending us to the hospital so we went to Rambam hospital and uh well you know we live in Haifa so it's close to right. no, no, but it's yeah. a big hospital yeah it's, it's one of the <laughs> well they actually have a great they have a dedicated children's hospital and actually I've been there a few times for broken bones and <laughs> I've thank god had really it's been really quick and and basically fast when I've been there. Um, wow. But, um, but I, I 
was glad that I had waited for the disc from the x-ray from from the Kupa yes. to take with me because they're like, well, we want to see the x-ray. And if I would have had to go get another x-ray at Rambam, first of all, the x-ray is kind of far from the children's hospital and you have to walk there. <laughs> like it just would have been a, just a big pain. So like I always ask for a disc after uh, any, any issue. I'm so glad they that still you do that. that. Exactly. Always tell people, always ask for your disc. A mammography, an MRI, always get your discs uh, because that's because comparison is a huge part of diagnosis. Right. And, uh, you know, and then you also, right, you don't want to have to repeat uh, tests. And I always tell people it is your information. No one can tell you we can't give that to you because it belongs to you. Sometimes you have to pay, you know, okay, fine, you have to pay it because, you know, whatever, you have to go to the archives or, you know, it's, it's a disc, so it costs right. money, fine, it costs, but, but it's your information and there's no one who can say we can't give that to you. It doesn't exist. Okay, there, it, good to it's know. A, it's, yes, health information, it's part of HIPAA and it's part of Shoyot uh, in Israel. Okay. HIPAA is the American privacy law and you right. have access to your medical information it's very important to know excellent okay and so tell, yeah go ahead anytime you go anytime you go to a specialist doesn't matter america you know israel you get a summary of the visit that is written and yes. they take it to you yes it's you. true yeah it's very and always take that so don't ever leave the doctor's office empty-handed <laughs> <laughs> okay uh it's funny because in general i'm like don't take the freebie but that one you should definitely take yes uh, yes right. it's not and it's not free <laughs> <laughs> right. okay so uh, i guess you and i have to talk because i always take the freebie <laughs> <laughs> um okay so let's talk about how we can make doctor's visits organized and productive um yes. i like to come with a notebook uh, I like to do a little research in advance so I know which questions to ask. How, right. how can we even figure out what questions we should ask? So, I mean, obviously, that's where a health advocate comes in. but Yes, yes. So actually, first of all, if you, if you put also in the show notes, I have a, a downloadable checklist that I put together of like, general questions to ask the doctor okay, uh, when you go. That I'll, yeah, that I'll send to you. And... Um, and also, I have a, a list of questions to ask the doctor before a procedure. Okay. Um, you know, so like if you're going to have an operation or any kind of procedure because, uh, you know, people say, well, you didn't tell me that. And what's the famous response that the doctor always says? You didn't ask. Right. <laughs> right. And so, you don't know uh, what you don't know and you don't know to ask what you don't know. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. So, so first of all, I always tell people, unless you are comfortable with medical knowledge and you know where to go, I don't always recommend like, you know, approaching Dr. Google only because I feel like then people think that they're dying, you know, because they put in their symptoms <laughs> inevitably, you know. Yes. <laughs> my father, my father had a slight, he's been having this cough and he told me yesterday, I have chronic bronchitis. And I said, how do you know that? And he said, I Googled it and it told me. <laughs> I said, Okay, good. Huh? So, uh, you know, so just a caveat, you know, just be, just be aware. Um, sit down with somebody else and review what it is that you're going to the doctor for. Meaning, okay. are you going to the doctor for a second opinion? Are you going to the doctor for a diagnosis? Meaning you have all of these symptoms and, and nobody knows what's going on with you. Um, but you've done all these tests. Are you going to the doctor 
uh, to get a prescription. It's very bureaucratic, you know? So right. uh, you need to know what you're going. First of all, why am I going there? Second okay. of all, summarize your medical, your relevant medical history in five sentences or less. Okay. Meaning if you walk into the doctor's office and the doctor says, why are you here? And you said, well, when I was 15, you know, I, I had this and then, you know, the doctor's eyes are going to roll back into his head. And unfortunately, you know, he's not going to hear the relevant information that you have to say because he, he doesn't have that kind of time or she doesn't have that kind of time. Right. Right. So first of all, you need to summarize and, um, and if you feel that you're not that kind of person, if you have enough wherewithal, then go with somebody else who can okay. help you focus. Okay. It's always good to write down your points ahead of time okay. about what you want to mention to the doctor. And all of your medications, um, right? And have a list of all your medications and the dosages that you're taking it and any, any hospitalizations and for what reason within the past two years. Okay. 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 That's important to sort of, you know, to go with that. And... If you have any chronic conditions. Okay. Meaning, okay. even if you don't think it's relevant, if it's right. chronic. Like, if, if I it. was having, like, chest pain, then I would say, yes, I have to have, great. I have Graves' disease. Right, exactly, exactly. Could not be relevant, but the doctor needs to know that, you okay. know? He has to make that so, decision. Okay. Yes. All right, so in terms of, we, we briefly touched on this, but I think it's important to just highlight again. Uh, when we're with doctors... When we're going to appointments, we should bring a recorder or a notebook or a list of medications or what else should we bring? Exactly. And any relevant um, medical information, meaning bring your blood tests, bring bring the letter of the imaging that you did. Okay. Even if they say, oh, we'll send the doctor the, uh, you know, the summary letter, bring it with you anyway, because often it doesn't get there. Bring the disc. If it's the imaging, if you, if you've done many different testing, because they're not sure what you have, bring the results of each one of those tests okay. and have it clearly labeled and not, you know, like a huge pile, but have the papers organized ahead of time. Meaning don't just give the doctor like a huge pile of things and saying like somewhere in here is, you know, yes. my EKG in my EMG and my EEG and my blood tests. And, you know, it's worthwhile to know. sort everything before you go. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Before yeah. we you go, don't know, yeah. yes, yeah. go ahead. No, no, go if ahead. you don't know, sit with somebody, sit with somebody who does. That's okay. important. Great. So before we go, I want to just touch on preventative care. Ah, yes. Let's, let's <laughs> briefly talk about what we should be doing to prevent or screen for uh, like if you are BRCA positive, how often should you be going for breast exams? Uh, when should you get a colonoscopy? Okay. W- so what else question. is there? <laughs> right. So um, oh, I have a slide about this too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can tell that you too if people want. Right. But so the, the very quick, um, if you are a healthy person, then the screening tests that are recommended are for a woman, a pap smear every three years from age 18 to age 65. Okay. If uh, and um, clinical breast exam, which is a physical breast exam starting also from your early 20s okay. um, up until your mid 70s. A mammography starting um, in Israel, mammographies are covered from age 50 
every two years, uh, unless they have a positive finding, and then it's more often. Okay. If you are in America, they start at age 45, the recommendation is now, but um, the, the, the science, the, the sort of overall studies are still with age, uh, starting over age 50, every two years until age 74. Okay. Uh, people say why after, because really the incidence uh, declines after that. Okay. Colonoscopy should be started at age 50. The recommendation is if you have a clean, if there, you don't find anything every 10 years. If you're doing a, um, what's called a um, the, um, fecal occult blood test, which is just a, it's like a sample of your, a stool sample that they test to see if there's any markers in it. Um, that could possibly mean that it's colon cancer. So that's every uh, three to five years. Okay. You don't have to do both. Okay. Uh, the good thing about a colonoscopy is that if they find something, they take it out. So it's not only screening, it's also can be curative. Okay. If you are I didn't know there were any good things about colonoscopies, but thanks uh, for pointing yes. that out. <laughs> yes, 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 definitely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, if you... If you have any family history of breast and or ovarian cancer, meaning a mother, an aunt, a sister, uh, a first cousin, then uh, it's important to go get tested, meaning to do a mammography and clinical breast exam and talk to a, a breast surgeon before the age of 50. Okay. Um, and if you are BRCA positive and you already know that or your mother is and then you choose to be tested, then you need to really be in follow-up with a, with a specific clinic um, in a much more rigorous fashion. So I mm -hmm. highly, highly recommend, because everybody, I mean, the statistic is we know one in nine, and now it's closer to one in eight women are diagnosed with breast cancer, the overall risk over our lifetime. Mm -hmm. And we know that Ashkenazi women have a higher rate of the gene, which means we have a higher rate of, of, uh, of breast cancer. Okay. But the biggest risk factor is, is being a woman. Okay. So... Yeah, so it's very important to, to be in follow-up. Although men can there. also get breast cancer. If they have the gene, they can get breast cancer. It's very, very rare, but it does happen. Okay. Um, but so more likely that if they carry the gene, they also have a higher risk of developing prostate cancer. Okay. So if, if, you have, if your mother had breast cancer and she was tested positive for the gene, then yes, then the man should be in follow-up. Okay. And what about the men in our lives? When should we encourage them to get tested for whatever they should get tested for? Right, exactly. So colonoscopy is for both men and women okay. um, after age 50. Um, and for everybody, I also did mention like, you know, just checking your skin, especially if you have lighter oh, yeah. skin or, you know, to okay. find any suspicious looking moles, yeah, you should go, go to a dermatologist. Okay. Um, do, the, do the one, because the good thing Although about- Although in Israel, it's the plastic surgeon. Yes. And Don't get me started. Plastic like, surgeon. I know. But the dermatologists has to do the initial review. Do they? Okay, because our general doctor yeah, yeah, sent yeah. my husband right to the plastic surgeon. No, so so the dermatologist does a general review, and some things they can take care of, and other things they have to send you to the plastic surgeon. Uh -huh. Okay, yes. okay. Yes, uh, the complications of Look, the, I uh, think it's weird here, too, that the GYN doesn't do the breast exam, and you have to go straight I, to the breast surgeon. Exactly. So, but there are, there are those who do. I trained, I made sure I, I trained a bunch of years ago. We had, we put together a whole training. They were trained by a, an expert. Oh, okay. Um, and you should ask because some, some, sometimes they do, but yes, okay. it is strange yeah. overall. Yeah. Um, um, anything else for men? 
Uh, right. So, so no, not, no, not for men. They don't, they don't recommend screening for prostate cancer unless there are indications. Okay. That's the, uh, that's the general, the not to do a blood test unless there's, you know, trouble with urination, et cetera. So then they, or pain. So then they recommend doing the prostate uh, check. Okay. Aviva, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been incredibly informative, even for me. Uh, any oh, I'm last, so glad. Yeah. Any last thoughts before we sign off? You know, I could talk about these topics for hours. <laughs> so. <laughs> right, we'll have a follow-up. So if you have any questions, please send them to me, and we can, Aviva and I can have a follow-up episode. Um, Aviva, if people want to reach out to you directly, how can they do that? The easiest way is to Aviva, it's A-V-I-V-A, at healthadvise, with a Z.com. Okay. Um, I answer questions all the time, free of charge. You know, I work for a nonprofit, so if somebody lives in Israel and they want to reach out and they, um, you know, help for a specific problem, Visimcha. I have a website with a lot of information on it also about, in general, about health navigation. You want to just explain what the Shara Pransky Project is? Yes. It is a nonprofit organization that was founded 10 years ago to help English speakers in Israel navigate the healthcare system. So we help new Olim, Olim to be tourists, um, people who are, you know, for permanent residents, etc. Anything from a small question about, you know, how do I know what my rights are in regards to um, IVF treatment to, you know, my older parent is coming and I, they're ill and I don't know what to do to, you know, we just got a cancer diagnosis and we feel overwhelmed. So we deal with a whole range and anybody feel free to, to reach out to us with an inquiry and um, we'll be happy to help you from there. I feel like the most common question I see on the Aliyah message boards are, how do I know which coupon to pick? <laughs> <laughs> So Do you help answer that question? Saying, I see everybody come, everybody saying that the truth is, is that there are very few differences between the coupon. Okay. So there are subtle differences on each person. There's certain things that they should take into account, but nobody should feel overly concerned that they've chosen the wrong one or there's a better option out there. It's funny because, so I live in Haifa and a friend of mine, so there's four healthcare providers here in Israel. There's Maccabi, uh, Klalit, Leomit, and uh, uh, Right. And uh, Leomit here in Haifa is not very strong and or doesn't have a big... Uh, that's strong office, right? So, so, but, so he said to me, my friend who has it, he's like, well, I never wait online. And if I have an issue, yep. they pay for everything out of, you know, I can see any specialist I want yep. because they're not. Yep. <laughs> so That's it's what not, I always tell everybody. Yeah, it's, I it's, said, great. And they're yeah. totally flexible and they give people tons of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so like, yeah. it's not necessarily true that just because it's, the strongest in your city or the biggest in your city that like it's the best coupa or exactly. right so, exactly okay. um okay well thank you so much aviva it was a pleasure and Glad we finally connected yes it's amazing as always thank you so much for listening i hope you found today's information useful um and i hope that this podcast episode encourages you all to have talks with your families about healthcare directives because it is so important. For now, I hope you have a great healthy week and happy organizing. 
Thanks for listening to the Journey to Organization podcast. You can find Rebecca on Twitter and Instagram at BalaGonBegon and on Pinterest as Rebecca Saltzman. Visit BalaGonBegon.com for resources and to join the mailing list to get podcast updates.